0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Hey, I want to give a shout out to another member of the HubSpot Network, the Success Story Podcast, hosted by Scott D. Claire. It's one of the most useful podcasts in the world. Success Story features Q&A sessions with successful business leaders, keynote presentations, conversations on sales, marketing, hey, and If you're a freelancer, his episode on how to make seven figures freelancing on Fiverr is a must. Listen to the Success Story podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Dr. James Richardson. He's the founder of Premium Growth Solutions, a strategic planning consultancy for early stage consumer packaged goods brands. As a professionally trained cultural anthropologist turned business strategist, he has helped nearly 100 CPG brands with their strategic planning. And he's also the author of Ramping Your Brand, How to Ride the Killer CPG Growth Curve. He also hosts his podcast, Startup Confidential, and routinely appears in trade magazines serving CPG, the CPG industry. So with that, Dr. Richardson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So for those of everybody, generally speaking, has a knowledge of concepts of marketing, anybody that listens to my show, what, w- <laughs> what would you say are, are the significant kind of critical distinctions between considering a CPG brand versus say like marketing a service?
1: I think you. It, it's easy for founders to underestimate the challenge of changing habitual right. patterns of consumption. So consumer packaged goods, if you're intending to to scale quickly is about changing habits, and whereas services tend to be purchased fairly sporadically or on a longer time cycle, so it's just a very different animal. <laughs>
0: we'll talk a little bit about the. You just said changing habits, so you know, there are probably two challenges. If I, uh, I'm just going to throw out goofy names. If I sell Coke, getting somebody to uh, want to drink Sprite or something already in the category is one challenge, right? But what if I'm creating? There's so many drinks. I'm thinking like hard kombucha or something that like that's not yeah. even a category that existed a few years ago so <laughs> how do you convince somebody that
1: this is something you've never had before and you're going to love it so i think this is what i tell my clients is that first of all you've just got to you've got to shove your your thing into the marketplace right in some in the local context where you have easy access uh to your fans and then you need to to listen because usually early on in the first even the first months and certainly the first year or so, your fans will probably do a better job than you, the founder of articulating why it matters. Yeah. And so I'm I'm a big believer in using those fans to figure that out early on. And then whatever that why is, that's something that you get to then selectively pick from if there's more than one. I, I use the language of outcome. If there's more than one outcome that people are seeking from your thing, then you get to, you get to use the marketing flywheel to reach more people who may not intuitively get it. If that makes sense. So like hard kombucha is a good example, because I don't know if you've ever had any of those brands there's, <clears throat> but they taste a lot like wine. Yeah. And so you know, when you, when you're creating a new category, it's really important to figure out where you're sourcing volume from and what is the what's the logic of figuring out where you're sourcing volume from and what is the, what's the logic or linguistic, linguistic frame you can use. You can either do that with language, but I'm also a big believer in just inserting because in, in my industry, you're, we're selling widgets. Yeah. These are physical art. They're physical artifacts, right? And in some cases they're, they're status symbols, they're extensions of personal identity or their claims about your identity. And so yeah. sometimes you want to, just show up in the right social space <laughs> so,
0: so, so though are you saying are you saying it's a little bit you have you have to make a connection that they already have everybody when they come up with a new service says, it's like uber but for lawnmowers is it that same thing you were just saying it it fills the space of i already like wine so i'll like
1: this or, or at least i when already you're looking wine. for well what you're looking for actually john is a, is a late what i call a latent dissatisfaction mm that they may not be articulating until they have your thing. And this is really quite common, actually, in consumer packaged goods because Americans have two to three hundred different products stored in their homes or apartments at any one time, and that crosses 50 to 80 categories. Right. It's just we we refuse to think very consciously about those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Because it, it would be insane. Yeah. When I, I pick an attorney, I'll think hard and long about that, but... <laughs> So you have to you're 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 hoping to tap into symbolism, language, or social context to nudge people into saying, "Hey, here's here's this key attribute that my brand delivers. We're chasing. We're offering the same outcome as the thing you're already drinking. Yeah. Will be, but here's what's better about ours, and that has to be done in in a in like mind like a really simplistic fashion. So like, for instance, a lot of hard kombuchas are lower and vastly lower in calories than a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you start to get down into some serious nuance. Yeah. But when you get into the nuance and you can unlock what it is, and usually it takes your fans for you to figure this out because you may have created the company for some other reason. Right. (laughs) But it's, it's in the nuance details where you can say, ah, I have the new, so instead of saying I'm the the Uber of blank, it's forget Uber, I'm more modern than Uber. Yeah. So are, are, are
0: you saying that in a lot of ways you shouldn't even try to define, it's almost like get it out there and you may find that there are unintended sort of <laughs> pathways that open up that you really wasn't what you were thinking it was going to be.
1: I, yeah, I, I think we, yeah, I have found that in most of my clients' businesses and in most of the case studies I've reviewed there, t- I talk about in my book, there were pivots, and those pivots were based on oh, oh yeah. I had no idea that that's what this was. Yeah. Kind bar, kind bar was a weight management product. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but Dan Lebetsky created it as a status symbol. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right, right. But that the fact that it's in a in a clear wrapper really isn't the reason it scaled. It scaled because there's no sugar in
0: it, mm-hmm.
1: and it was the you know <laughs> there never was any sugar. Yeah. So. Sometimes you, uh, because um, the founder is the worst source of bias in consumer packaged goods, you have to let the consumer and the market basically re-educate you on what you have and then run with that. And I think, I personally think that's true in B2B. It's been true in my business, my consulting business. I've done the same thing. I went to market four and a half years ago with one idea of what I was going to be doing and I'm not doing that yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah.
0: I think you you end up discovering I think a lot of times when you're starting out you're you're guessing for the most part and and being open yeah. to discovering how, how often are our big hits rather than cooked up in a laboratory are cooked up because somebody, couldn't find a weight management product. So they started making their own flavored Mm -hmm. waters and all of their friends liked it. And then it turned out, Kara Golden was on the show, the creative hint of the waters, the fruit flavored waters. And that really is her story. She wanted to create a product that Tasted better than water. Just wanted to stop drinking sodas. And so she was baking, cooking it in, in, on her stovetop. And somebody, somebody told her at some big <laughs> consumer package company told her she was crazy. Go back to just being a housewife. And she now has a $100 million product. Yeah. So how often do you think that happens to where somebody's just trying to scratch an itch they have personally?
1: Oh, I, th- I think it's, it's most of the folks who don't have a prior background in the industry. Yeah. It's the vast majority of them. The, the problem though, John, is that most of those not all those itches actually have any any scalability. Yeah, right. So the biggest problem that I was just I was listening to one of your episodes before I got on about finding your ideal customer and, and I laughed because I only work with my ideal customer. I literally throw away 50% of my leads every year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I screen them out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um and part of that is just finding people who who really are gonna benefit from what I can do. Yeah, as a consultant, I think that that has value as a B two B service provider. But for consumer packaged goods founders, what I found is a lot of folks are tempted by stakeholders to chase a whole bunch of trial. Mm-hmm. Let me just get a whole. If I can just, they they all believe they're the next Kind Bar with you know the ninety eight percent conversion rate or whatever he claims in his book. And very few of them are. Most of them need some kind of tweak in in the product experience. Mm-hmm. They're halfway there they need to get better. And those are all fixable problems, but you have to be <laughs> you have to be coachable and you have to be coachable by the market first. Like if you right. can't learn from the market, right. I don't want to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and no and stakeholders are they may take your money though. That's what's funny. And now a word from our sponsor.
0: With Q4 closing, employee holiday travel, and forecasting for 2022 underway, staying connected has never been more important, and HubSpot is consistently releasing new features to make your CRM platform more connected than ever. With improved forecasting tools and custom report builders, see how your quarter is going. Inspect new deals and use customizable data-driven reports to improve team performance as you grow. With custom behavioral events, you can track site behavior and understand your customers' buying habits all within the platform. And if you're looking for cleaner data with a centralized system, the all-new Operations Hub Enterprise gives your ops leads the ability to curate data sets for all users, meaning even faster and more consistent reporting. Learn more about how a HubSpot CRM platform can help connect the dots of your business at HubSpot.com dot com so so i i, I want to unpack one thing that comes up in the book a bunch and you you use the metaphor of scare, skate ramps so you must have been mm-hmm. a skater i'm guessing that's my, a, my son is. oh <laughs> your son is all right so 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 talk about the, how you use that metaphor
1: so i it literally came out of the mathematics mm. of the of a big study i did on the brands that scaled in the last 10-15 years the ones who got to 100 million and beyond in consumer packaged goods isn't very common and they all rode this curve which is an exponent. it's really just the sigmoid curve that you learn about in business school textbooks Mm -hmm. but which rarely happens today at the grocery store (laughs) Um, because of the dynamics of the major players and the beauty of this curve is that that it does two things one is that it allows arrogant competitors to ignore you because they think you're failing, right? Every year they look at your numbers and you're like, well, he's still small, eh, whatever. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're actually doubling, but because you're doubling off of a small base, and this is the key to the math, you're you're buying time to do what we're just talking about, Mm -hmm. which is learn from your fans, iterate, finish the experiment, essentially finish your product line and market. Or you make a big pivot and that gives you it actually buys you the time to pivot. And you're pivoting at a lower, lower scale, which in my industry is sort of it's almost critical. Cause if you say you're like fifty million dollars you need to discover, oh, I'm running out of consumer. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. You now are gonna have to spend you have money, so that's great. But you're now gonna have to you're now have to gonna wind down a fifty million dollar business and replace it with something else. And that mathematics, you're never going to find an investor sign on there. Yeah. So that's going to be very painful. Probably won't happen. But you can completely pivot like a 2 or $3 million business, yeah. birth something else out. And then within two years, everyone's forgotten the original thing. And you're- <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> And sometimes that original business gives you the right, They give, it gives you access to a consumer audience. Yeah. Yeah. Spindrift is a great example of that. They launched premium. Soda, mm-hmm. pop, all natural, yada, yada, yada. But there's no market for it. <laughs> yeah. like, believe it or not, when people want a Coca-Cola or Pepsi, that's what they want. They don't need mm-hmm. an artisan version of mm-hmm. that. And when they do, it's like a, a goofy Christmas gift or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what he discovered was people wanted they wanted a different kind of sparkling water. Mm-hmm. And that took off. Yeah, yeah. So, But he did it at the right time. I'm talking about Bill Creelman, but he did it at the, real, at the right time in the business. In other words, he killed the first idea early based on data. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so, so how, big a, how, how big is design in the, the package, <laughs> the colors, the box it comes in, the bottle it's in? How, I'm thinking of like method, for example. A very design-driven product taking on Procter & Gamble <laughs> products. How, how yeah, big I mean, a role I, is that? Maybe more so even than what's in the bottle.
1: Yeah, design is is important in consumer packaged goods for premium products, which is sort of my world. But mm-hmm. it's I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's up to the importance of like Dyson in <laughs> that category right. of durable goods, um, where the user experience actually is incredibly complex and people are super demanding, and they have a million ways to attack you. Right? When you are just selling a beverage, there isn't much going on there. There's very specific uses this is the thing that's counterintuitive about design it's not so much about being the next coach handbag of beverages that's not really you can do that to get attention that's that's great but that just gets you trial. Mm-hmm. what really matters is being able to use your packaging to signal and this right. is what i help folks with using just the right words just the right symbols and deleting everything else and it's the it's the removing the clutter which that's a big thing yeah. that I do.
0: Well, it, it probably um, accentuates the brand promise or the brand story too, yeah. obviously, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's or something... A, you'll notice that most most premium brands across industries, I'm sorry, across production verticals that chase the consumer, the premium ones tend to... They have very clean websites. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of... They're not like the used car dealer with the right. 75 pop-ups. So they they assume you know why they're cool. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And and if you don't know, they're going to rely on your social network to tell you that. And that gets really extreme in the fashion world. But I think it's a mix of that in CBG. Word of mouth, John, is huge Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in driving the initial years of growth. Like you need, and and that's what's funny, is that the word of mouth storytelling about your premium CBG brand That's actually where the secret sauce is for paid marketing later. Right. You're going to, if you can learn from them and then fund that story once you get the right one.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, obviously the role of influencers for good or bad, frankly, certainly plays a role in, in a lot of cases. That's a paid story too. Yeah. But, but how important is that role? If you want your brand to be seen as cool, does it have to be seen certain places?
1: Yeah, I think social insertion is something that matters in certain subcategories. Beverages is one of those. Certainly, liquor, mm-hmm. and because and it also depends what the outcome is you're selling. If you're a liquor brand, you are selling a mixture of, of class status right. and sex, right. basically, right? right? And so you're trying to be the new thing at the bar, yeah. yeah. And so you have to be at the right clubs yeah. now. In other categories, you may want to be showing up at surfing events, right? Right, because you've got a group of people who are into fitness, yeah. and because they're into fitness, they are into weight maintenance. Because yeah. these people were never fat, they just don't want to get fat. Yeah. Uh. So when they drink, they want boom hard kombucha, and that's a story of June shine right there. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's talk about how distribution has changed. There was a day when if you couldn't get three feet of shelf space at you know, blah 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 a chain, you really couldn't exist. But today, right. there are a lot of brands that are direct to consumers. So how has the mm-hmm. distribution piece sort of changed? Because uh, on the flip side of that, you see Whole Foods going out and saying, oh, you can only get this at this Whole Foods in Austin, Texas, because the person right. that makes it lives right around the corner. So there seems to be a real hunger to get micro that way, but direct to consumer seems to be driving a lot of these startup brands.
1: Yeah. I. I so my my general takeaway is direct to consumer works for all Initially it works really well for all but the frozen and refrigerated temperature stay category. Right, right, right. Which is eliminates a chunk of the grocery store. Yeah, yeah. I what I found working with my clients is that it's a great learning laboratory to do sure. what? <laughs> to reduce the time, John, in which you accumulate that mass of early fans who can then educate you on what you created. Yeah. Right. So you can now do that in three to six months, not eighteen months. Yeah which is what used to happen. People would go out and they'd sell in even locally, and it would take time to, to gather the negative feedback. Mm-hmm. Well, the positive feedback. Right. Yeah. D to C allows you to create this flywheel communication if you know how to use it. Plus you can, you can stare at your repeat rate, and it's, if it's really bad, you can't hide from that truth for very long. Right, right. And I, That's what I like is it's a brutal laboratory. Yeah. In CBG, it, it's sort of mixed results on how much you can scale. And in certain categories, and they tend to be not the traditional grocery ones. They're beauty and personal care. That's where I'm seeing people create huge businesses. I don't have the I don't have the perfect <laughs> I don't have the perfect behavioral explanation for why it is with those categories, but I don't think it's I don't think it's it's certainly not shipping costs or anything like that. I think there's something cultural about people willing to they're willing to see a Facebook ad and buy 180 dollars beauty cream. Yeah. Or a wrinkle cream, almost instantaneously. That's uh, sort of the um, and you won't see, you won't see pe- well, John. You won't see people switch their case pack soda habit, right? right like right. instantaneously. That takes weeks or months to change that. Behavior. <laughs> yeah, and part, partly it's because
0: sort of maybe the the dream that's being sold by that was never fulfilled. So it's well, maybe the next one, or maybe well, I could time. if <laughs> I
1: if I channel my evolutionary anthropological training. Beauty is sex. Beauty yeah. is mating and reproduction. It po- pretty much is the highest stakes like behavior of the species, yeah. <laughs> right? <And> so <laughs> deep down in your unconscious, if you have anxiety, if you have insecurity about how you appear, it's not that hard to monetize that insecurity. Yeah. I think it's, like I said, it's a little harder to find that group of people who hate diet Coke, right. like Kara, and they need her solution. That took her time. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so... um you have a number of case studies, so I'm wondering if there's you, you could pick out one that you think is was a little tiny brand that you worked with that now might be a name. Or, 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 I, I guess I'm asking for your biggest hit. What's your What's been your biggest <laughs> hit? Yeah, that 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 we maybe would that that listeners might uh, recognize or or be familiar with, or any, any story that you want to share that you think was a great case study.
1: Well, that's a good question. I just uh, wrote. I'm going to pick the one I can publicly talk about. Okay, <laughs> since you that's a good since idea. Since you're a big name podcaster, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need lawyer letters. So <laughs> worked. I started working with John Forker, who's the CEO of Once Upon a Farm. The baby, it started as a baby food brand mm-hmm. for the last two or three years, and they were, you know, they were doing okay. They were doing okay, but they they had this. He had this nagging. Suspicion that something was off, <laughs> and part of part of, I came. So I came in, and we worked together just for a day. I did a little of my shamanistic sort of data analysis and stuff like that, which is sort of in my book as well. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that we had a velocity problem. There. The problem was it was selling, but it was it was really it's not the kind of a loss. Veloc- I won't go into the details. One, not the kind of velocity that. Velocity trend is more important, i.e., not growing. Yeah. That's going to create scale. So the key behind the skate ramp is that the velocity is actually growing every year. It's sort of like it's the investor's dream and in, in, in investing, right? Your your interest rate keeps growing. And so you get richer and richer and richer and then it explodes. This is what exponential growth is in CBG. And so I think he wanted to get on that track, but was struggling with. They had always wanted us to be a kid's brand. Like the organic HPP sort of fruit and vegetable. It's a fruit and vegetable uh, smoothie, basically, in a pouch. Mm-hmm. You stick it in your mouth like goo. Yep, yep. So babies have no problem with doing that. Kids don't have any problem with doing doing that. Well, actually, a lot of adults don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. So they had always thought, the investors as well, that we we're going to be a big kid's brand. But they had always seen that as down the line, right? And I think what I helped them figure out is, look, the baby food category is probably one you didn't even want to start with yeah <laughs> which which is it's okay to discuss now but i think it was hard to swallow at the time because you raised money on the basis so we're going to take over baby food but the reality is that the behavior the demographics the cultural trends all the stuff that i'm trained to mm-hmm. intersect and synergize it was all bad 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 i miss pretty much the worst case scenario, John, of a category review I've ever done. Hmm. <laughs> it was just, it was like, I don't think these people, you're going to run out of these people so fast. Is basically what I told them. So switch to a kid brand now. And they made that decision mm-hmm. basically. He had half made it already. And he, by the end of the day, he was sold. So they did and they had to make a whole bunch of changes. Yeah, They had originally thought that they were going to have to launch all these new lines this is my favorite thing in CPG: is new audience new product line right. i just and when you're i guess five billion dollar brand maybe that makes sense because you have a bunch of segmentations that tell you that that's mm-hmm. that's real but if you're starting a business that's 15 20 if you're at 15 or 20 million you need to still stay focused john yeah, yeah. right so what we found in the data was that kids were already older kids were already in the pouches so they just ripped the baby food. Label right off,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> and re- did a new brand identity that doesn't cost too much money, right? Yeah, yeah. Put some cartoon characters on there, yeah. and suddenly, boom! This and they add do some basic things in CPG like moms hate picking up four packs, put it four of them in a box. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah. once you stay focused. And you listen to the data, then you can actually, that was, so that was an example of a pivot and they're growing like crazy now. That's awesome. And part of that was just not getting distracted by solving growth problems with like new products, which is a big temptation. Sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Same. same whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah I, I can't tell you how many brands I've encountered that are between 25 and 50 million, John. Yeah. They're still here. Yeah. And they have like 50 UPCs. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows what they stand for. Right. Right and they basically to me what they have is that they have they've have concatenated like five little niche consumer bases who have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's a marketer's nightmare. Well, it's
0: it's it's <laughs> where the creating the new stuff's where the fun is. So so James tell right. people where they can find out more about your work. We have uh, run out of time. So tell people where they can find out more about your work and and obviously uh,
1: pick up ramping your brand. So, ramping your brands on Amazon.com. Uh, you can also order it uh, for libraries mm-hmm. at, on Ingram. And if you want to learn more about me, you can follow me on LinkedIn, go to premiumgrowthsolutions.com, where I house my blog, and that's updated three times a week. Awesome. Well, I appreciate
0: you stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, and uh, hopefully, we'll run into you one of these days out there on the road.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for having me, John.
0: All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says training for your team.